welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 211. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. Hope your February is going great. Hope you survived the excitement that is Groundhog Day and that you've gotten some treatment for those groundhog bites. Uh, I hear they can be pretty nasty. If you have lost any limbs due to a groundhog, um, my condolences, but imagine the story you'll have to tell your grandkids about the time that the groundhog went medieval on your butt, or whatever part you lost. Yep, it'd be pretty worth it, seems to me. Don't, though, if you have lost a limb to a groundhog, don't send me pictures. I don't need to see that. Oh yeah, February 2nd was also the Super Bowl, but whatever. Groundhog thing's more exciting. As I'm recording this, I haven't paid attention, so I don't know if the Groundhog saw his shadow or not. I did watch the movie Groundhog, though, and Puxitani Phil in the movie saw his shadow, for whatever that's worth. One of Bill Murray's finest performances. Uh, how they cast him as the Groundhog, I'll never know. But, you know, Peter Venkman and Ghostbusters, Groundhog. Seems like a natural progression to me. Alright, speaking of natural progressions... Gonna prove that the world is flat In his rocket ship Or else he'll go splat He's Mad Mike Hughes Mad Mike Hughes So the question is, has Mad Mike progressed? See what I did there? In his quest to prove that the earth is flat or whatever the hell he's trying to do at this point i'm not sure i don't see him out there you know, beating the bushes you know raising raising uh alarm raising awareness for the flat earth quest still no new posts it's been over a month now since anything was posted on the rocket man page on facebook nothing on twitter my exhaustive research which is really just me typing in Mad Mike Hughes into a search engine as I talk to you right now. Pulls up nothing new. Nope, nothing new there. I hadn't noticed this before, but on MadMikeHughes.com, December 10th, 2019, it was a while ago now, they posted the Mad Mike what, uh, WTF show intro. Wait, maybe I did play this before. What you're seeing on screen, if this were a video podcast, is basically the camera traveling through a star field. It's vaguely Doctor Who-like. Uh, in appearance, I played about 33 seconds. There's another 30 seconds of it. Starring the real Rocket Man, Michael Hughes. FEMG Flat Earth Media Group production. Sound and video by Rick Lotek. Executive producer, Michael Hughes. The song, The Real Rocket Man, by Chief Crow. Well, that's interesting. So, if you finish out the uh, the video clip, 
and, you know, and it recommends another video to, to watch. I assume this is a link to YouTube, although it didn't have YouTube stamped all over it. Um, the next thing comes up, I mentioned Doctor Who. The next thing that comes up is a recommended video. All the Doctor's regenerations updated. Hmm. Someone else saw the connection that I saw, I guess. The algorithm did anyway. So yeah, there is nothing going on in Mad Mike Hughes world. You would think they would at least be posting, you know, Mad Mike's really looking for your your support or, you know, here's a photo of the rocket sitting in the snow or whatever. I, I don't know that it's snowing where the rocket's at right now, but, you know, whatever. There's just total radio silence. I'm not sure what to make of that. All I know is those dragons, they're getting kind of impatient. They want Mad Mike to come and hug them. You know, oh, it's lonely out there on the uh, floating out there watching this little disc of an, a planet trying to spin around. I feel bad for the dragons now. Those poor dragons. <sighs> Alright, pull it together. We got a show to do. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship. Or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike Hughes. In other news, now that I'm stressed out about this whole Mad Mike thing, maybe I should take a little vacation. Where should I go? Oh, I know. I could go to an Atari-themed hotel. NPR and other places are reporting that Atari, the company that popularized home video game in the 1970s and 80s, is partnering with a group developing a series of hotels to cater to the gaming crowd. Oh wait, I can't go stay there yet, I guess. I'm not listening to the report right now, but the article I'm looking at at the moment, I saw this other places too, but the one I'm looking at right now is the transcript of uh, a segment that uh, played on NPR. Noel King, one of the hosts of the uh, uh, All Things Considered over there on the NPR. I think it's All Things Considered. It's whatever the morning version of their new show is. Noel King says, If you think elevator music is bad, wait until you hear this. Parentheses. Soundbite of video game, Frogger. Then King says, That's the sound of an Atari 2600. Frogger, to be specific. And that old gaming system is the inspiration behind a new chain of hotels. And then Steve Inskeep takes over and explains, Yeah, there's going to be this uh, series of hotels. They have some audio from a guy named Napoleon Smith III, which is the best name ever. Quote, Quite honestly, I came up with the idea when I was watching Stranger Things in the middle of the night. Inskeep. That's Napoleon Smith III who thought of this. Uh, Smith says uh, it's going to be an uh, arcade speakeasy for guys that are over that are 40 and older to have fun. And then we're going to have an eSports venue. Smith says no other hotel chain really caters to the video game enthusiast on the road. A lot of gamers have to bring their gear with them. Not really good place set up for that. They'll have, this place will have the highest bandwidth players need, uh, all the screens that they need. They're going to break ground on the very first one of these hotels in Phoenix. This year, um, meaning 2020, I guess. I don't think this report's any older than that. Yeah, so 2020, sometime this year, they're going to break ground in Phoenix. Whenever the sling opens up, if any of you goes and stays at one of these hotels in Phoenix or wherever it ends up being, obviously, let us know what it's like. It sounds a bit cheesy to me, but it might be cool. I don't know. Inskeep, that you know, clever guy, finishes up the report by saying, no word yet on whether a giant gorilla will be throwing barrels at guests from the roof, which is a Donkey Kong reference for those who don't know. Soundbite of video game Donkey Kong. Inskeep then says, now you know. Ah, ha, ha, ha. 
I'm going to guess that I, I don't know what the demographics are for people who listen to NPR, but I'm going to guess the typical NPR viewer, like me, is old enough to understand an Atari reference or is riding in a car with somebody who understands an Atari reference. Even if it's someone who wasn't old enough to be alive when Atari came out originally, I'm going to guess, again, I don't know the demographics, but I'm going to guess they're nerdy enough that they understand an Atari reference. If nothing else, they've played the, uh, the compilations for PlayStation or something. So yeah, so that's a thing. You know what else is a thing? This week's game. This week's game is, holy crap, hold on to your crap, because this week's game is Concentration. From Atari, 1978. So, this game... Hold on, you're saying. Bill, dummy, you've played Concentration already on the podcast. Do you feel okay? Are you still hungover from your birthday? Have you suffered some sort of mosquito bite-related malarial hallucination thing? No, no, I am just fine. And I am aware that I played Concentration. Only I didn't play Concentration on the show before. I played... Hunt and Score in episode 192, which is really just concentration under another name. So, we're both right. And isn't that just the best kind of right to be? <laughs> no, it's not, because we live in 2020, where all of existence is really just about how declaring that you're right and everyone else is wrong. Uh, but the point remains. In episode 192, I did play Concentration with a cartridge that had hunt and score slapped on it. And this time, I am playing concentration with a cart that says concentration on it. And I'm doing this because, honestly, I had both the cartridges, and I need content for this show. So, there you go. For those of you who are two years old and have not yet mastered the concept of the game concentration, let me explain to you how this works. Um, oh, first of all, we're playing this on a computer screen, not on the card's that you pull out of a dog-eared box and throw on the floor and then discover like three of them are missing, but you play anyway because you've already committed at this point and your mom's yelling at you because you need to go find something to do with your little brother. We're playing this on a computer screen so that none of the tiles will actually be missing. And we're using the keyboard controllers. I can only find one of my keyboard controllers this morning as I was getting ready to play, which is fine because I'm playing all by myself because that's how I roll. I'm fine. It's all right, I'm all by myself. <sighs> anyway, so we're using the keyboard controller. There are two variations, two versions of, even in the manual, they switch to hunt and score. They say there are two versions of hunt and score. 16 square matrix, 30 square matrix. I played in the field report the 30 square matrix. I don't mean to brag, but I jumped right in, skipped over the 16 matrix completely. Each game version is played the same. The only difference is the number of matrix squares behind each numbered square is an object. Each player takes a turn uh, by choosing two matrix squares. When a player chooses a square, an object is revealed. If the two squares' objects are identical, the player scores one point. Each player uses a keyboard controller to make selections. If in two-player games, the left controller player begins the game. In one-player games, the left controller uses the left controller. A number flashes on each matrix square. Behind each square is an object. Try to select a matrix square. To select a matrix square. 
Press the number of the matrix square on the keyboard controller. The numbers you press will appear at the top of the screen. After you press the keyboard number, enter it into a computer. The computer, not just any computer, because if you do that, it's not going to work. So enter it into the computer by pressing the enter, which is the little pound sign, button on the keyboard. The object behind the square is revealed. If you press the wrong keyboard number by mistake, you're a dumbass. Wait, hold on. Immediately press the correct number you want, then enter it into the computer or press the erase, which is the little star key button, and then the correct number. If you are playing with 30 matrix squares, like me, the computer will, this is exciting, will not accept any number from the keyboard over 30. That's right, kids. Like they said in the old days, don't trust anyone over 30. And don't enter any numbers over 30 onto the Atari keyboard controller. And then people in response said, Yo, we did, man, but what's this computer thing you're talking about? Anyway, in games with 16 squares, note that the computer will not accept any number entries over... What is that? Over 16. Alright. The printing on the copy of the manual I'm looking at right now is really, really small and really, really light. And I'm old. I just had a birthday, so that fact was reinforced for me. Handicap. Slide the difficulty switch to the B position, and the player receives two points for each correct match. In the A position, the player scores one point for an identical pair of objects. Hunt and score. Objects. And this is where it gets weird. Ladybug. Butterfly. Ranger. That must be the creepy face with the hat that I saw. Crab. Television. Bell. Flying saucer. Deer, automobile, castle, bunny, llama, seagulls, sailboat, table, and chairs. The table and chairs and the creepy face are the ones that really weird me out. Really? Why this stuff? There's a whole world of objects. Why these two? Anyway, when you choose two, two squares with identical objects behind them, a sound signifying a correct answer uh, occurs. The two squares disappear from the matrix. You score one point if the difficulty switch is in B position. A player scores two points each time a correct match is made. You receive another turn. When you select two squares, your objects are not identical. You are mocked mercilessly for the rest of your life. Wait, hold on. A sound signifying an incorrect answer occurs. The two objects disappear and the numbers reappear on the square. In the two-player games, the other player makes a selection. In one player games, the computer scores one point, and you select another two squares. And life goes on and on. Wild cards. Hold on, man. You didn't think this could get any more exciting, did you? Some games will feature a wild card behind two of the matrix squares. A wild card automatically matches any object, scoring one point for the player who selects it. You'll know it's a wild card because it will have a naked person on it. Wait, I'm just kidding. Or am I? You're rushing out to find your 99 cent copy of Concentration now, aren't you? Scoring. In all hunt and score games, you score one point for each pair of matrix squares you select with identical objects behind them. Note, when the difficulty is in the B position, you score two points for each match. In one player games, your score appears on the left side of the screen. The number of incorrect selections appears in the upper right corner of the screen. In two player games, the left keyboard controller player's score appears in the upper left corner of the screen. The right controller player score appears in the upper right corner. Yada, yada, yada. And then there's a little matrix that tells you the breakdown of uh, which games are one player, which games are two player, how many uh, squares, and all that stuff. They keep calling them squares. I prefer to call them tiles. 
I guess we're going to agree to disagree, Atari. And that is how you play Concentration, or Hunt and Score, for the Atari 2600. My favorite part of the Wikipedia entry for this game is the first line. A game of concentration, also known as Concentration. All right. And Hunt and Score. Although, actually, as I'm looking at it, to be fair, okay, I see what they're saying. So I've got a text label on my cartridge, and it actually does, doesn't does just say concentration. It says, A Game of Concentration, CX2642, 1 through 8, Hunt and Score. So I'm guessing that means there are cartridges out there. I, I know there are cartridges that say Hunt and Score, because I have one of those. But I'm guessing there's also a cartridge somewhere that just says concentration on it. I don't know. Now I'm flipping the cartridge over, and on the end label, it says just concentration. So maybe that's what it means. But are there cartridges out there? Not that I care a whole lot, but since it came up, are there cartridges where the, the big label and the end label both just say concentration? Hmm, interesting. Really what I want to know is, is there any chance that my text label that says a game of concentration in red lettering in any way is worth more than 99 cents? While I wait for that answer, I guess I'll go on. Uh, developed by Atari Inc. released in 78, we already knew that. Uh, programmed by Jim Huther, one of a handful of games used, that used Atari's keypad controller. Released for the Sears for Sear, released by Sears for the Sears Video Arcade under the name Memory Match. I do not, I don't think, have a Memory Match cartridge, which you'll be happy to know because that means you won't have to listen to me play Concentration again on this podcast, probably. Uh, we already know how to play. Alright, I guess that's all the good information we're going to elicit from there. If anyone knows other games that Jim Huther programmed, let me know, just out of curiosity. Also, let me know if I'm saying his name right. So, Jim Huther, if by chance you're listening to this, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing your name. Also, contact me by email or social media, and uh, let me know, know what you think of this game, other stuff that you worked on, how things are going, favorite pets, whatever you want, let me know. Videogamecritic.com. Concentration gets from the video game critic a grade D minus. Ouch. So the review asks the question, is concentration in an electronic version really any better than the version that I mentioned that you play on the floor with actual paper, cardboard, tiles? The game is played with the keypad controller, so you need to enter a number to make your choice, despite the fact that a joystick would have been more intuitive. After painstakingly entering the digits via those super tight little buttons, the squares you selected display an image. Graphic detail is better than I expected, offering colorful renditions of televisions, automobiles, etc., etc. As I observed, uh, although worded slightly, slightly differently, there's a ranger that looks more like a skull wearing a hat. If, no, if not successful, you're subjected to an irritating and prolonged buzzing noise. Correct match triggers an obnoxious siren. Your ears t- just can't win. The CPU, if you're playing you know, one player, doesn't actually play but scores whenever you guess wrong. That's not really much concent- There's not really much concentration required to play this, but the name memory was already taken. As with many of Atari's earliest titles, concentration is best described as unnecessary. Ouch. Take that, concentration, or memory, or a game of concentration, or hunt and score. Well, whatever we're calling it, after the break, we're going to play, let's say, concentration. Focus, people. Thank you. 
can't do it, I can't do it, I tell you, I'm scared, I can't, I can't focus, I can't do it, I can't settle down, I can't do it. Concentrate. You must focus your mind. Atari, is that you? Settle your brain. You can do it. One tile at a time. Focus. Focus. Yes, Atari, I can do it. Thank you. Alright, we're playing Concentration for the Atari 2600. I'm playing game six. One player, the maximum 30 tile variation, because that's how I roll. Buckle up, everybody, let's do it. Alright, I'm going to make my first selection. Damn, this is exciting. Going with number one. Crab thing. Number 30. Atari farted. It also told me it was a butterfly. Four. Television. With an antenna, kids go ask your parents. Twenty-six. Two llamas? Hey, how'd the computer get two points already? Seven. Car. Sixteen. Oh yeah, the two llamas. Ten. Car. Where was it? Uh, shoot. You're all screaming at me now because you remember the number. Uh, sh shoot. What was it? Four? No, that was the TV. I know, you're all yelling at me. Um, 16. The two llamas. 21. Table and chairs. These are weird choices for these matches. The things that are on the cards. 17. Little ladybug thing. 23. Castle. 28. Table and chairs. Oh, where was it? Score present is 7 for the computer, 0 for your host, 19, sailboat, 18, kangaroo, number 9, bell, 14, oh, the ladybug thing. computer. I just matched the bells. Woo! The score for you, those of you keeping a score at home, is 10 to 2 right now. 14. Nineteen. Twenty-four. Butterfly. 
Boom. Suck it. Score is 11 to 4. Castle. Deerhead. Crab thing. Scary face. Table and chairs. Boom. Alright. Gotta try and get one more match. Spaceship. Boom. Flying saucer for the win. Well, not exactly. Computer's beating me. 16 to 8. And in the time-honored tradition of quitters everywhere, when you're behind, quit the game. Back to you in the studio. Hey, Atari fans. This is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Join Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review cartridge-based games for the Atari's last answer, the 8-bit gaming system, as well as delve deep into their history. Kieran will also introduce everyone to the UK's budget games. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. Hey, it's me, Bill, your host, the guy you've been listening to this whole episode. Do you enjoy the stories I write and read to you every week on this podcast, but you feel like you just need a break from my voice? I get it. My family does sometimes, too. Here's an option. Some of the stories from the show are now collected in a volume titled Misery Banana, very short stories inspired by old games and odd thoughts. You can order it wherever you like to order books. I hope you'll check it out. Thanks. So, here's the thing about concentration. I don't hate this game. I wish there was more music. I wish the pictures on the tiles weren't as weird. Table and chairs? Really? But, you know, it is what it is. I can totally see, even by 78, I was still a little kid, but I was probably a little bit old that I would to want concentration for my Atari. I would have wanted, um, you know, the other games, basically. But I could totally see if I'm the little sibling of my older brother or sister who has an Atari in the 70s. And I see them playing their games. So I'm not quite old enough for those. I can totally see getting excited, you know, if I'm a preschooler, uh, getting excited by the idea of having an Atari game just for me, that I can sit down with the Atari and play. And that would be this, right? That'd be concentration. So I think it's fine for what it is. None of the games in 78 had a lot of great sound and all that. So I don't know if it's fair to judge it on that basis. So it's fine. As always, if you have thoughts about concentration, let me know. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story. Story, story, story time. With Bill. This week's story is titled Perfect Match. Gary watched, both amused and horrified, as Josh drained the pint glass of IPA in one go. 
As he set the glass on the table, Josh's hand, rings on each finger, rings on, rings on each finger, twitched a bit. The glass thudded on the table, but didn't break. That cost me six bucks, Gary said. You could have at least tasted it. The rings on Josh's fingers clicked nervously against the tabletop. His eyes were wide as he stared through the neon beer sign on the window, looking out at the sidewalk. Whenever someone walked by, Josh jumped, sending the naugahyde under his butt into paroxysms. What is it with you, man? Gary said. What was with those texts about someone following you? Shh! Josh hissed. He leaned toward the window and scanned. Is that... Gary's beefy arm gently pulled his friend back down into the seat. What is the deal? After ordering another round and making short work of it, Josh finally spilled it. The story, not the beer. Okay, look. A tiny man is following me. Gary chewed a hot wing for a moment as he pondered this. Then, a tiny man? Yeah, Josh said, still staring out the window. Only, he's not so much a little man as sort of a bowling pin-shaped creature. I like bowling, Gary said. Want to bowl a few frames tonight? Can't, Josh said. The little man with the bowler hat is trying to kill me. I thought you said he was a bowling pin-shaped man, not a man wearing a bowler hat. He's both, and he wants to kill me. Really? I mean, probably, Josh said. Every time I turn around, there he is, just grinning. So he's friendly, Gary said. That's something, right? So why does he want to kill you? Halfway through his third IPA, Josh shrugged. I don't know. All he ever says is, I'm your perfect match. Gary inhaled another boneless wing. What's that mean? Josh's intestines clutched as he barely suppressed a shriek. I'm about to find out. Here he comes. The glasses on the table toppled as Josh bolted from the bar. Gary calmly finished his wings. He's kind of messed up, he muttered. Outside, Josh bounced off a lime green Tesla as he bolted into a side alley. An alley that led to a really tall brick wall, like in a movie. He was about to turn back, wondering how he could steal the Tesla and get away. Would you hotwire it like a gas-powered car? It's electric, so he supposed, yeah, that's what you do. But while he was distracted with the mechanics of green technology theft, the creature stepped between his legs. Suddenly aware of a presence, Josh glanced down. A small man with the smile of a Cheshire cat and the body of a bowling pin tipped his hat at Josh. We're a perfect match, the creature said. Josh gulped hard and closed his eyes. We're a perfect match, the creature said again. Josh shook his head softly. We don't... we don't look anything alike. The bowling pin man cocked his head. It looked weird. But we are a perfect match. I was made for you. Um, I don't think so. The bowling pin man put his hat back on. You ever met a guy who looked like me before? No. Then how do you know I wasn't made for you? Uh... You should pick me up, the bowling pin man said. But I, I barely know you, Josh said, brain doing the backstroke across a sea of confusion. I'm your perfect match. So you said. I was made for you. The bowling pin said, arms outstretched, waiting to be picked up. No freaking way, Josh said. And that's when Gary caved Josh's head in with a 16-pound chartreuse bowling ball. He dropped the ball and it rolled into the side of a dumpster. Gary went looking for more wings. As Josh fell in a crumpled heap, the bowling pin man shrugged. Josh could have used me, he said sadly. 
we were a perfect match. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incomprotect.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Mike Mann for the Mad Mike Hughes theme. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers, which you have, which knowledge you have stumbled upon already by virtue of the fact that you are hearing this show. But if you wish to choose pod, uh, change podcatchers, well, you certainly can do that because the show is everywhere. But make sure you concentrate real hard on a five-star review over at Apple Podcasts because the algorithm over there loves five-star reviews. Eats them up like potato chips. The kind with the ripples in them that hold the salt. Good stuff. Anyway, uh, email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at ataribytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also look us up on Instagram. And don't forget, you can call me too. I'm not going to answer the phone, but you're free to call and leave a voicemail at 563-265-1978. Call about any damn thing you want, and there's a pretty good chance I'll play it on the show. Check out the website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com. There's all sorts of stuff over there. There's information about this show, links to episodes, show notes, things of that nature. There's also the same stuff. For my other podcast, the monthly It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown, which is a monthly deep dive into all things related to the iconic Peanuts comic strip. Snoopy, Charlie Brown, Linus, the whole bit. The comic strip, the TV shows, the movies, the merchandise, stuff written about those things. We did into the mind of Schultz. We've had authors on the show, playwrights. We even had the guy who played the voice of Charlie Brown for years and years and years on TV. All sorts of cool stuff over there. If you're a Snoopy fan, and you probably are, or you definitely know someone who is, uh, tune into that show or tell your friends to do that. Uh, it's a good time. And you can find out more about it at carnivalofgleecreations.com. Uh, also, if you're a fan of this show, uh, pick up, go play some old games they've missed you, shirts and mugs over there at the ab underscore pod underscore store on zazzle.com. We're into February already, but I am still marginally confident that sometime this year an overhaul of the store will be coming. If there are things you would like to see over there, let me know. You can also support the show, help keep the lights on here, uh, by becoming a subscriber on Patreon.com, the Atari Bytes page over there. Uh, what are you going to get for that? Um, well, you might get access to episodes early. Uh, you don't have to wait for Sunday necessarily to hear an episode. You could get bonus content. There is stuff going up there periodically that you don't hear on the podcast. For example, I've been exploring the 2013 cartoon series, Pac-Man the Ghostly Adventures. That's a thing over there that you can hear if you're a Patreon subscriber. So please give that some consideration. If nothing else, you can go subscribe so that you can keep an eye on Michael Tyler, Jose Cazeta, and Sean Courtney, who are already Patreon supporters, and they need some monitoring. So you should go sign up as a Patreon supporter as well. Um, what's left to tell you? Uh, oh, I guess basically just to tell you what's up next week on the show. Next time on Atari Bytes. Backgammon. That's right. You didn't think this podcast could get any more exciting than concentration. We are going to play backgammon. Uh, which is kind of cool because I remember in the 70s and 80s, 
like when I'd go visit my brother, we would play backgammon, not on the computer. We would play it like physical little briefcase-looking thing you could carry around, and you, you open the latches and, and fold it open, and it's and the board for backgammon is the inside of this little briefcase-looking thing. He had the little round uh, tiles that you move. I really liked it as a kid. I have no memory at all of how to play backgammon now, which could be a problem next week, but we'll get through it together. So check out that episode. And as always, until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. Oh, 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 oh,